0: we sing our praises to God together.
1: I will sing forever of your love. Come down with my hands to heaven. Shout your praises loud. I was lost in darkness when you pulled me out. I will sing forever of your love. Final breath came, and on that back the Son of God was made in darkness. A battle in the grave, the war on death was waged. The power. We sing
0: of our praise we stand before you now as your children and we worship you be glorified in our praises God and pour into our hearts your love your grace your healing and your freedom and may we be changed God Amen
1: we
2: continue in a spirit of prayer. If uh, you'd like to come and use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, I invite you to join me as uh, you're seated for prayer. Lord, as we contemplate who you are and who we are, sometimes the most appropriate thing we can do is just to admit the truth about ourselves that even in our best moments, we need you. We are sinful, fallible, broken. We struggle. We hurt. We hurt each other. We fight about such petty things. We keep grasping for stuff that in no time breaks and wilts and erodes and fades away. Sometimes we get crazy with our kids, with our parents, with each other. We're controlled by habits that we know are wrong. We keep doing things that lead us to destruction. So often we want people to think that we are wholly devoted to Christ. But we know in our honest moments that we are so often nothing like Christ. Father, we we declare with your servant David, Lord, forgive our sin. Cleanse us. Wash us. Father, this morning we pray not only for ourselves, we pray for this world in which we live. We think especially today of the church around the world. We think of our brothers and sisters in Uzbekistan. In this transition of leadership, we pray that, that you will help the church in these uncertain days to continue to live in your grace and your peace, your strength, your wisdom, your love, that they might be such a powerful witness of love in difficult circumstances. We pray, Father, for those who serve you around the world and, and in this very place. We think, Father, of the, the institutions that we're connected with. We thank you for Houghton College and the ministry of the college. And we pray that your grace would be upon students, faculty, staff, administrators. We pray this for Houghton Academy as well, that that you would bring your blessing to bear on every student and every faculty member, every staff member, the administrators. Lord, we pray for those connected to our public schools, students, administrators, faculty, staff. Pour out your blessing upon them in each setting, that they would know your grace and that they would sense your spirit in all the the ways of life and days in the public schools around us. And Lord, we pray for those who homeschool. We thank you for those who made this commitment And we pray that you would bless them, that you would engage with them, and that this would be a powerful time of connecting family and with one another. We pray, Father, that during this year we would grow academically, but more than anything we would grow in the knowledge and grace of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the ministries of this church, for all the various groups and activities to children and youth and and to each other as we get ready to start and some things have already begun. We pray your grace upon each one that they would be it would be avenues for us to experience you and to know you. We pray for other churches around us. And today we pray for Sojourner's Mennonite Fellowship in Belfast. And for Pastor Connie Finney. May your grace be with her and this fellowship of believers. Pour out your spirit on them that they might be united in your love and that they would bear witness to you in their community and beyond. Father, we we know that today is a, a significant day in our nation and in the world. As we remember 15 years ago this very morning, watching the planes and the towers, and so much death and destruction and devastation, pain that for far too many continues to this day. New York, and Washington, Pennsylvania. Lord, we pray your grace in miraculous ways. We pray, Father, that you would help us as a nation to come together and be united in love and compassion rather than in hatred and bitterness. Father, let your church all around this nation and around the world be, be the ones who take the first steps of peace and reconciliation. We pray for protection for your people, wherever they may be, all of your children. We pray, Father, for your grace upon them. We know there are places of the world where people, are so many millions are refugees, because of persecution and opposition, and we pray that you would protect them and help them. Lord, we pray for the needs right around, around us here, and we think of all who are grieving, Let your comforting presence be upon them. We pray for all who are struggling with health concerns. And we pray for Cliff McDonald and Marilyn Maine, for Mildred Berry, Doris and Blanche Weaver, Tammy Dunmire, Luke Heisinger, Wade Marsh. Sheldon Emerson, Bob Jobert, for Laurel Bucher, Bill Getty, for Warren and Ella Woolsey, for Phil Muker, Mike Raybuck and Beverett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Emily Cricklar, and others who may be in our hearts and minds today. Father, we need you. We pray, Lord, that. You will help us to see you in the busyness of life and the temptations that enslave us. Help us experience you in the circumstances that disappoint us and the frustrations that discourage us. And whether our days are what we would call successful or not. May the promise of your spirit continue to lead us to trust and faithfulness. We pray this through the grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Paul's book to the Galatians. This is chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, and chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say it again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you have accepted... Let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Then chapter 2. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is the word of the Lord.
3: Yeah, I just snuck in. Good to see you today. Uh, Pastor wanted me to make a couple of announcements. They are in the bulletin that we're starting our small group Bible studies. This week, this is adult Bible studies. You'll notice that several women's Bible studies begin Wednesday and Friday, and uh, also our others that begin tonight uh, and some throughout the week. I just wanted to mention two new groups that are, that are starting, and we're just hoping to expand more people involved in Bible studies. That would be the group at uh, Alex and Rachel Wright's house here on Route 19, and also a group at the Brubaker's house with uh, Terry Page leading that Bible study. So I invite you to sign up. There are sign-up tables uh, at the table in the back, but you don't have to sign to come. Just look at the notes, and uh, we invite you to those new Bible studies. And then also for college students, we are restarting something we've had for a number of years, Logos Bible Studies groups. Uh, They meet on Mondays and Tuesday evenings, four different homes. This is community homes. But student Bible studies led by students. It's an opportunity actually to gain leadership skills if you'd like to do that. So those sign-ups are also in the back. And then I just want to remind you, it's in the bulletin. Uh, We are opening up a a welcome for college students to remain after this service at 11 a.m. in the room below the sanctuary called the Good Shepherd Room. Uh, It's a group called Connection. Jeannie and Don Little are leading that group. Any college student and even other adults would like to come and mingle and fellowship and connect to God. That's a new experience we're having in our church this year. Thank you. Wes?
2: Thanks, Paul. Um, I do want to invite you to be a part of this class. It isn't limited to college students, but it's a good chance for those who may be students to interact with people in the community and um, just have a chance to uh, just have, like it says, to connect. And uh, I think it's a great, it'll be a great class. Um, There are lots of other things going on. You see the inserts. and It's really the church being the church. Sometimes we we look at all these things going on and we think, man, it's just so much happening. But that's what the church is. We're serving one another. We're caring for each other. We're involved with each other. And I'm convinced one of the most profound ways that we grow spiritually and we sense God in our lives is when we get involved in serving others because we realize in those moments how much we need God's help. And it's always that moment when God can do something special in us. So I encourage you to take a look at things that are in the bulletin, or if you don't see what maybe you're interested in, I mean, we're always looking for musicians, looking for teachers, helpers, greeters, uh, whatever the case may be, ushers, whatever you think you may want to do, working with any age group, uh, you let us know, because we love plugging you in to things and helping you in your spiritual journey, one of the ways we do that. You see in the bulletin that, if you heard here last week, we collected our jars ...for the Matthew 8.20 initiative, Um, and uh, that started in May, and we had a lot of people bring in a lot of jars. It says in your bulletin, $2,400 collected. Actually, it's $2,850, and they're still counting some of the change. Uh, We had a lot of change. Uh, I think if I remember right, like $600 in change that we had. Uh, That would be something you could do in ministry. The next time we count money, you could volunteer to help count the change. Uh, They're looking for rubber bands to put the dollar bills because there are a lot of dollar bills. And um, if you haven't been, if you weren't a part of this uh, through the summer, which I'm guessing many of you weren't because you weren't around, uh, we really want to encourage you to be involved. It's what we're asking is grab a jar, there's some up here, some in the back, and grab a booklet. And every week, just take 10, 15 minutes a week, maybe less, read there's a scripture. There's a little couple of paragraphs about refugees. And then there's a prayer. And and then we're just asking you, if you you can, to put a dollar a week, just one dollar a week, in the jar. And then on December 11th, we'll all bring our jars back and do the same thing we did last week. And then we'll hand out some more booklets and take jars. So we'd love to have you involved, whether you do it by yourself, you do it with your roommate, you do it with your dorm floor or suite, whatever the case may be, in your home. Just uh, it's a chance to connect and to allow God to speak into our hearts about the millions and millions of refugees in this world. who who need him. Before we uh, move forward, let me invite you to stand and uh, just share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. Everybody is yearning for freedom. You know, if you've seen the movie Braveheart, freedom. You know, everybody wants freedom. I mean, it's, it's something... In fact, I've come to the conclusion. I haven't done statistical analysis of this. But just in my memory, it seems like every movie I've ever watched has something to do with freedom. I was just last night watching... Uh, the original Raiders of the Lost Ark movie. I was watching it. it just happened to be on. I love that movie. And it, I just reminded again, it's about freedom. And all the, you, know, you, you stop for a second and think about all the, the movies you've seen They keep coming back to that idea of freedom. Everybody wants freedom. Whatever the bondage we may feel about life, we all want freedom. If we took a poll and we asked, Would you rather be in bondage or freedom? I suspect we'd get 100% freedom. And the question I've been asking myself is What is it that's in us? What is it that causes that, that yearning in us for freedom? We want to be free. Where does that start? Where does that come from? And I think the surprising answer to a lot of people is that that comes from God. God created us for freedom. I think it's surprising because, quite frankly, the church has sent the message so often that God is about preventing us from freedom. God is about rules. God is about boundaries. God is about fences. God is about trying to to keep us from things. And the church has sent this message that being a follower of God is all about no, 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 no. When the reality is God's original created intent for his creatures was yes. It's freedom. If we go back to the book of Genesis... And you read about God creating human beings. It says in verse 26 that that He created human beings in His image. And 27 says the same thing. And then you get to 28 and it says, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Have freedom over it. Reign over the fish and the sea and the birds and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And God says, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth, all the fruit for your, all the trees for your food. I've given you every green plant as food. And I've given you freedom to live in the midst of all of this. Now, what causes us to think that God is not really about freedom is because he does give one command. In chapter, later in in chapter 2, it says, The Lord God placed a man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. And the Lord warned him, You can freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of your knowledge of good and evil. If you eat his fruit, you're going to die. And when we read those verses, what, what is it we focus on? What they can't do. Right? I mean, that's all the discussion, right? They, they, well, that's what you hear when people talk about the Garden of Eden. It's what they can't do. But the truth is, we missed the sentence before that that says, you can eat from every single tree in the garden, just not one. That sounds like freedom to me. It's all the trees they can eat from, just not one. Just one tree. But all the rest of their life is Freedom. But there's something in us that says, but what about the one tree? Right? What about the one tree? And, and despite the fact that God has given us the gift of freedom, we so easily choose bondage. And that's what's happening to the churches in Galatia that Paul writes this letter to. And we're going to be looking at Galatia over the next, the book of Galatians over the next few weeks. And and Paul is writing to them this message of freedom, which is one of the themes of this book, because they have given in to bondage. They have given in to, to the bondage of people who have come from the Jerusalem church, the mother church. They've come to Galatia and they've said, You guys don't believe the right gospel. These are Gentiles that Paul writes to. The church in Galatia is primarily Gentiles. And Paul preached the gospel to them and they came to Jesus and their lives were transformed. And now these Jews have come from the the mother church and have said, whoa, 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 wait a second. You're not really Christians because you don't obey the law. You have to be Jewish first. You have to follow all the customs of the Jews first. And then once you've done that, now you can become a Christian and follow Jesus. But if you don't follow the law, you can't be a Christian. And Paul writes this letter to say... No. That's ridiculous. One of their arguments is Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. Paul Paul is teaching you a gospel that's not real. We came from the mother church. We came from Peter and James and John and all the apostles. That's who's giving you this message. Paul doesn't know anything. And Paul writes in the first almost almost uh, first whole two chapters. He writes and says, let me tell you about my life. And he tells them about his experience, not with the Jerusalem church, but with Jesus. He says, I encountered Jesus. What I learned, I didn't learn from Jerusalem church. I had been a follower of Jesus for years before I ever went to the Jerusalem church. I had an encounter with Jesus. And that's why he begins the letter in verse 1 by saying, I'm an apostle of Jesus. And what I learned, I learned from Jesus he said, and and if you really want to say the Jerusalem church has clout, okay, fine. But you know what the Jerusalem church said about me? They support me. They they back me. They think it's awesome that I'm preaching the gospel to Gentiles. Their calling is to Jews. Mine's to Gentiles. And he says at the end of chapter 1, they are encouraged by me. And this is the basis for Paul's word. It's not about... It's not about human origins, it's about coming directly from Jesus. And his whole argument is, this gospel that these people are telling you, that's the gospel of human origins. And you and I are continually tempted to fall into the trap of bondage. This problem is so widespread in in Galatia that Paul, well, let me say this, the letter to the Galatians is not a letter to a church in a city. The letter to the Corinthians is a letter to the church in Corinth. And Philippians is a letter to the church in Philippi. And Ephesians is a letter to the church in Ephesus. But Galatians is not written to a city. There's not a city, Galatia. It's an area. It, it's a, it's an area that has lots of cities in it. And in those each of those cities, churches. And this problem is so widespread that Paul can write one single letter to all of them and it... And it it's a contemporary to the problems each one of them are facing. And it just reminds us how deep-rooted this problem of bondage to human forms can be for us as human beings. We get so caught in the trap of worshipping how we get to God instead of worshipping God. And most of the time it's about our experiences the reason these Jewish people are telling the Gentiles, you have to be Jews first, is because that's how they came to Christ. And it worked for them. And it was awesome for them. And and knowing the the law, knowing the Old Testament, and, and embracing all of the things that God said to the Jews, doing that opened the door for them to see who Jesus was as the Messiah. And they cannot fathom anyone else coming to Jesus any other way. But Paul says, no. That's not the way it has to be. When we start talking about human forms as being more important, formulas, rules, sometimes we talk about being legalism. It always limits God. You cannot help but limit God when you get in when we become entranced with human forms. We start saying there's only one way God can work. And of course, the way God works is my way. This is, how God, this is how God connected to me. This is how I became a follower of Jesus. And I can't imagine anyone else not following that path. And that is what has happened through the history of the church. You see it over and over and over and over again. People, well-meaning people... Have an experience with God, and they want everyone else to have this awesome experience, and it isn't very long before it's not just, "Hey, I'd love to have you that you have this awesome experience," now it becomes, if you don't have this awesome experience, you haven't really experienced God. And we're all tempted to that in a variety of ways. How we do church, how we think about the gospel, how we think about people opening their hearts to Jesus? It's a struggle we all have. We're limiting God. Something is a, maybe a good thing for you to think about is to think about the ways in which we create forms about how people come to God. When I was young, there were, there were plans that people put together, again, well-meaning people, that had merit to them. And they put together these plans about helping someone come to faith in Christ. And then we had little booklets that we would walk people through. And the, the implication was, everyone must go through this pattern. Everyone. These are core things. There are three or four things everyone has to do in order to come to Jesus. And it was virtually impossible for someone to come to Jesus without somehow connecting to this plan. And it became so ingrained in the culture of the evangelical church that we don't even realize that, quite frankly, we see very little of that in the Scriptures. Go through the Gospels. You Think about the the way we think of this plan of salvation. How people come to faith in Christ and the way we think of it. And we have very narrow ways of thinking about it, usually. And you go through the Gospels and, and look for how many times people encountering Jesus follow the plan and you won't find very many I think about Zacchaeus you know here's a guy he's a tax collector he's a sinner and um, but he's interested in Jesus you know if you went to Sunday school you know he was short. And he couldn't see Jesus over the crowd, and the people hated him. They weren't going to move for him. So he climbs up in a tree so he can see Jesus. And Jesus walks by, and he looks up, and like A.J. said last week, Jesus says to him, Hey, uh, Zacchaeus, you got any food? I'm hungry. Let's go eat. Jesus, he's right. Jesus is always asking people for food. And, and Zacchaeus climbs out from the tree, races home, and what's the next thing we read? next thing we read is Zacchaeus says, Anybody I've offended, I'm going to pay them back plus. I'm giving away what I have to the poor. And Jesus says salvation has come to this house. It doesn't follow our plan. I've heard sermons on that story where people pigeonhole that story into the plan. And they shoehorn it into the plan, but it's not really there. Because the point is not the plan. The point is, here's somebody who said, I want to know Jesus. That's what matters. And we're continually limiting God in the way he can work in people's lives. And some of you may be wrestling with the way God has worked in your life. Maybe you have been told all of your life, it has to be this way. You've got to do it like this. And, and you've got to have this kind of an experience. And you haven't had that experience. And you've done everything in your power to try to manufacture that experience. And it just isn't happening. And if that's your experience, if that's your, the case for your life, then I totally get that. Because I wrestled for a great majority of my life with that very thing. I tried to follow the plan. In my day, it was coming to the altar and kneeling here and praying about your sins. And and it's not that we don't need to confess our sins. But my life didn't fit the formula. And for some people, the formula is perfect for them. It's exactly what they need. But... Everyone tried to tell me, you've got to fit the formula. And and they kept telling me that. And I kept trying. And I can't tell you how many, I'm going to say hundreds of times, I came to an altar. Trying to find that experience. And then one day I realized, maybe I don't need that experience. Maybe for me, because you know, we're talking about doing a 180 degree turn. I was raised in the church. You know, my family being a pastor is the family business for us. I mean, there's like 11 of us or something, you know, in pastoral ministry. It's what we do, you know. And, and when I was born on a Wednesday, I was in church on Sunday. I'm going to guess if they had something at the church on Saturday or Friday, I was probably there that day too. Because And I was there every Sunday, every day in between. Didn't matter if we were on vacation or not. We were in church. And we were in church all the time, and I went to Sunday school, and I knew all the stories. And, and, I, and I have always had a heart for God. Now, it, you know, it was cold and hot at different times. It was warm and, and, and cool at different times of my life. But deep down inside, I've always wanted to be a follower of Jesus. And so what I needed was not to say, you need a 180-degree turn, because that would actually be the opposite of what I should be doing. What I need to do is just Relax. And just embrace God in my life. And just every day say, Jesus, I need you. I don't need some kind of an experience. I'm not going to have a 180 degree transformational kind of thing. Some people will have that. And I think when we put people into formulas and we make rules, and what we do is we squeeze people not into the kingdom but out of the kingdom. Because it's discouraging. And I suspect a lot of you may be going through the same thing. And what we need to do is just relax and, and give thanks for our freedom in Christ. And, and just say, Lord, I'm yours. What I find is that when we, when we get enamored with formulas, we become very critical, judgmental people. Our formulas are never just about us. We are never content to say, okay, this is the formula for me. We always want to push it to the next level and say, if it's the formula for me, it's going to be the formula for everybody else. Now, part of that is, if Christ is asking me to do something hard, he better ask other people to do hard things too. That's not fair otherwise, right? But it's even more than that. It's more a sense of, this is my experience and everyone should have that same experience. And I'm going to put that on to other people. And if they don't have that experience, something is wrong with them. And we get all judgmental and critical. And we start living our lives as Christians thinking who's in and who's out. And we're making all these judgment things instead of just living in the freedom of God's love and grace. I remember when I was about 10, 12 years old, I don't remember exactly. I was traveling with my dad. He was speaking someplace. And and we had gone on this trip together and we had stopped. It's funny how you remember things. It was a Ponderosa restaurant. I have no idea why I remember that, but I could close my eyes and picture the exact room, the scene, and probably all the food piled on my plate because, you know, it's all you can eat kind of thing. This is probably why we were there. But, so I'm, I'm, we're sitting there eating and, you know, we're talking and, and uh, another pastor in the area where we work knew my dad, came over to the table and they started talking and he started telling my dad about his son who was, I, I'm going to guess, was probably college age, maybe a little bit older. And he was lamenting the life that his son had chosen. And he talked about how he just so, he's so worried about his son and his son is gone off the rails and his son's life is being destroyed. And, and he just he was lamenting. And my dad was saying, you know, I'm so sorry and I'll be praying for you and all these things and you know, being compassionate that you want to be. And finally, the, they just finished the conversation. The man left and went back to his table. I said to my dad, so what's up with his son? And I'm thinking, as you are, prison, drugs... You know, all kinds of crazy stuff that he's doing. And my dad says, well, he's very upset about his son because he's joined the Jesus people. And I'm, you know, I'm 10, 12 years old. I'm thinking, wait, Jesus people? Isn't that a good thing? I mean, wouldn't, isn't it a good thing you want to be a part of something related to Jesus? And I asked my dad that. I said, I'm totally confused. And he said, well... You know, he's struggling with it because he, they don't do church the way we do it. And I'm I'm so grateful my, my parents were much more open-minded than some. But this gentleman was upset because the Jesus people were people who... Um, he had moved to California and he lived on the beach. And he wore sandals and had a long beard and jewelry and dressed in those days like a hippie. And... um And and when they worshipped, they sang songs that weren't in the hymnal, and they danced, and they spoke in tongues, and it was just freaking him out. And I'm thinking, wow. And he couldn't see the good that was happening in his son's life because he was so locked in to his formula. And instead of us judging who's in, who's out, who's doing it right, who's doing it wrong, what if we just live in the freedom of God's grace? Because it's always about God's grace. It always comes back to God's grace. When we struggle with legalism, it's because we don't really believe in God's grace. Paul says at the end of chapter 21, he says, I do not disparage, I have not turned my back on God's grace. Like people think he has. In fact, he's saying, I am all about God's grace. Everything that that God has done is his grace. And it's only when we focus on God's grace that the forms and the rituals that can be helpful get into their appropriate place instead of being the central focus. And when we are focused on God's grace, we always come back to Jesus. I'm convinced freedom and bondage are always about our understanding of who Jesus is. Paul says in verse 4, verse 7 of chapter 1, talks about Jesus who lived and died for us. And if you want a key verse to this whole letter, if you want to say this is the hinge point of the whole thing, it's probably Galatians 2.20, where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. It's not about formulas. It's not about rituals. It's not about getting things just right. It's about Jesus. And do I live with enough freedom to let Jesus be Jesus and to bring people to him in any way he wants to? And to let people worship him any way they want to? Because, see, we get so wrapped up in worshiping the things that get us to Jesus instead of worshiping Jesus. And so we worship the scriptures instead of letting the scriptures lead us to Jesus. We worship uh, the ways that we learn instead of the ways that we learn leading us to Jesus. We worship theology instead of letting theology lead us to Jesus. We worship worship instead of letting worship lead us to Jesus. And anytime what we do becomes more important than Jesus, we're in trouble. Paul says, Let those be cursed let those be cursed who preach a gospel that doesn't focus on Jesus. It's so dangerous. It's not just dangerous to us, it's dangerous to other people that we influence. It always comes back to Jesus. And someone has said, the person who has Jesus And everything else has nothing more than the person who has Jesus and nothing else. Because it's always about Jesus. Freedom is in Jesus. This summer, John and Andrew, sons and I, went to Pittsburgh to watch a couple of baseball games, the Cubs and the uh, the Pirates. And I, I don't know if you, any of you have ever been to Pittsburgh, or particularly to PNC Park, but it's a beautiful stadium. It is set on the banks of the Mhangahela River. It has this beautiful, these beautiful bridges in the background that you can see, the tall skyscraper buildings of the city of Pittsburgh. It's a beautiful field. It's a, it's a, it's a lovely stadium, the architecture of it. And uh, it's just a wonderful place, very family-friendly. We love going there to watch games. Well what if this summer we went to the game... And we got there and we became so enamored with the stadium that we spent the next three hours just walking around the outside of the stadium, admiring the stadium taking pictures of the stadium, posting pictures on Facebook and Instagram and blogging about the stadium and and calling people about how awesome the stadium is. And we spent all this time, the three hours we were there, just just engrossed in the stadium. And we walked around all that huge city block of the stadium, four, five, six, ten times, studying it, writing about it, just engaged in it. If you watched us do that and and knew that we had tickets to get into the game, you'd be looking at saying, those guys are idiots. I mean, yeah, it's a nice stadium, but that's not really why you're here, is it? Of course not. How foolish of us to think that you go to all that trouble, you spend all that money, you do all this stuff, and all you do is walk around the stadium. As awesome as it may be. That's the point of being there is going in and enjoying the game and the atmosphere and being a part of the crowd. And I think there is something about that in Paul's mind as he writes to the Galatians. He's saying, look, you're so wrapped up in your forms. You're so wrapped up in your rituals. And they can be good and they're beautiful and they can be helpful. But they're not more important than Jesus And I want you to live in freedom. I want you to live in in the freedom of Jesus, not the bondage of these forms. I want you to know the grace of God, not the enslavement of legalism. The truth of the matter is we can be legalistic about anything. Whatever that stadium may represent for us. Whatever rules, whatever forms, whatever way of doing things that that represents for us. God has more for us. And he wants to set us free to encounter the living Christ. So that we might understand when Jesus says about himself. I've come to release the prisoners. And set them free. And we would understand what Charles Wesley wrote in the hymn we sang a few minutes ago. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains, my chains fell off, and my heart was free. And I rose, and I went forth, and I followed Thee, Father. You want us to live in freedom. Forgive us for embracing the bondage that so easily entangles us. And this morning, turn our eyes to Jesus. To see the grace, your grace in Jesus. And set us free. Through Christ Jesus. Amen.
0: like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God from all that he has given to us.
1: By his stripes we are healed By his nail pierced tense. By his blood